Thank you. Isn't it lovely being led by uh, young adults in our church? Isn't it fantastic? It really is. Really lovely to, um, to know God's power and God's strength and welcome. I trust you are either at the end of, of course, your spring break and had a good time. We want to welcome you if you're visiting and uh, we're really pleased that you're with us. Um, as many of you know, Michelle and I went down to Cannon Beach with uh, our eight-year-olds and our 12-year-olds while our 16-year-olds went to LA on mission. So uh, we're excited about that and they had a fantastic time and love to encourage you to to hear the stories. No doubt next Sunday evening we'll have many baptisms on Easter Sunday at Pursuit and we're um, really uh, thrilled about that and it's exciting. I'd never been to Cannon Bay. What I didn't realize was that it is a honeymoon spot. A bit of a shock. A very beautiful spot. And um, so that was nice. Uh, everywhere we looked, there were couples who were in love. So uh, it was nice. As well as me and Michelle, we were in love. It was good. It's good. But, you know, having an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. Um, but uh, it was um, fantastic. What I really want to share with you about is, is a continuation. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke... And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, really through to 20. But although towards the end of this period before summer, we'll be doing a teaching series on the power of prayer that that comes out of this. But we're talking about the unseen, about what is going on and what is taking place. So uh, a number, uh, two weeks ago, I talked about really the wrestle that is taking place because Here in this passage that we're looking at and we're understanding is that there is a wrestle and the apostle splits his metaphors here. And as I said, I'm quite in favor of splitting metaphors. I like metaphors. I like images. I like stories. You know that. And I enjoy it. And here I'm in good company because the apostle likes it as well. Just saying. And so he's there. And of course, last time we spoke, we spoke about wrestling. And about that close-up, and really the message was that as a Christian church and as individuals, Paul is making no bones about this, we are in an up-close and personal wrestle with the powers of the enemy that wants to take every one of us completely down and out, and wants to take the church out. Talked about that when the enemy's pressing down on you in that wrestling moment and everybody in ancient Ephesus, in that whole region, in every town, they would have had a wrestling club. Everybody loved wrestling in the ancient world. He's using these to make a point that when you're pinned down, you know you're there, but you have one fighting on your behalf and you can see God's strength and God's power. And I finished off by talking about Those moves that we can make to see the enemy just thrown off. Understanding that. Understanding that actually when we understand first of all that we are loved children of God and not orphans. That our salvation is present and God loves us. Boy, when we get that revelation of who we are in Christ, we can throw the enemy off. 
when you realize for a moment, and this is true, isn't it? That when you feel pinned down by the enemy, sometimes it's because of your brokenheartedness, your disappointment, because of expectations being broken and hurt and pain that we hide really well in our lives. But those things, those hidden offenses, those hidden battles pin us to the ground and the weight of the person and the darkness that we're wrestling pins us there. But when we feel the words of Christ's healing touch within us, boy, does that throw the enemy off. In their healing and dealing with our junk, removes the power of the enemy in our lives. See, even the babies agree with me. (laughs) And I love that sound. But you know, and finally, community. When you've got somebody cheering for you, when you've got people gathered around you, That actually, probably the simplest and yet most profound way of which we battle spiritual warfare in our lives is through other people, friends and others praying for us, community together that is there. And that's why church community, and that takes a lot of courage, is so important because when I feel I'm down and out and I feel I'm pinned against the floor, you know, when I've got others around me praying for me, supporting me, loving me, it helps me get up in the power of Christ and throw the enemy off. And last week, Dave did a superb job of explaining the lies that entangle our lives, the lies that capture us, the lies that are there. And it's always the work of the enemy with the lies that starts to undermine who we are. And if you didn't listen to it and you weren't around because of spring break, log on and listen to that. But really... Let's go back to the passage. What's he really talking about in verse 10? We're going to move into the other metaphor now, which is to do with warfare, to do with the Romans, to do with what is taking place. We're leaving wrestling for a moment, and he is now talking about this moment. And what he's really saying to us in these 10 verses is something that we need to remind ourselves, is that, dear church, we need courage to keep moving and keep going in the power of Christ. Each one of us need courage. We need God's strength. We need God's power. Now, I don't know how courageous you feel, but there's a cry in these verses to say, come on, in our lives, in our families, the problems we face, we need God's courageous power. I was trying to think of moments where I felt quite courageous. I remember when I was at my brother's apartment. He lives in northern England, a rather tough and rough part of the city. And, and I'd gone to stay with him for a couple of nights to catch up. And it was pouring with rain. He lived on the fifth floor of a, um, a kind of apartment housing area. And I... Um, I, I came down to go out for dinner with him. We were going to go and have some Indian food. My dad was with me. And as we stepped out, I could hear some screams and yells. And I looked across and I could see that there was a drunk man attacking a lady who was probably his partner and slapping her around. And there was a child that was crying. So I said to Chris, excuse me, Mum, I just need to go and sort this out. Why did I say that? Well, I know why. 
So I walked up and he's like going mad. And you know when you notice when people get drunk and mad, they have to take their shirts off for some reason. I don't know about you. And of course, it doesn't happen in BC, but definitely in Saskatchewan. And they take their... Their shirts off, and they're there. And he was studying. It was like a scene from a film. It was raining. He took his shirt off. He was screaming. This poor woman was there. And I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, sir. Would you stop doing this, please? He looked at me and went, what? He turned around, looked around, and he punched me. Right in the head, but as he punched me, I moved slightly, and he disgraced me. I like to think that I moved slightly in the power of peaceful power of the Holy Spirit. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I said, you really should not have done that. My brother goes, what are you doing, Phil? And he runs off into the apartment. I said, honestly, don't do this. It's wrong. And he came towards me and I I just stopped him and pushed him back a moment. I said, no. And as I pushed him back, it was muddy and he slipped down the bank. It was amazing. Um, it It was resistance and peaceful activity at its best. And he slid down and fell over, and I went down to him, and I said, stop right now, and I'm stood over him, and I, 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 like this, stop, go, and I said to the lady, move right now, go, go away, go away, go away, and at that moment, all the police turned up, flashing lights, and I'm stood there like this, like a ninja, and... Um, <laughs> And my brother runs out, he's not as fully redeemed as I am, with a baseball bat. <laughs> and as he runs out, he looks at me, I say, what are you doing? And he looks at the police and goes, oh, sorry, and runs back. <laughs> and the police officer grabbed me and pushed me against the thing and thought I was the... I said, no, no, no. Tim. And she looked at me and said, don't I know you? I said, I don't know. She said, haven't you preached at my church? Um, <laughs> it's true. She said, you were... I said, oh yeah, it was a lovely service, thanks. <laughs> wasn't really courageous. Stepped in. The mud and the rain helped for that moment. Had no idea what I was doing. Courage. But I look around here, and I know you, and I've journeyed with many of you now for nearly five years, and I I know that you are some of the most courageous people I know. You've been courageous with your lives. You've been courageous traveling through illnesses. You've been courageous with family difficulties. You've been courageous with children and their pain. You've been courageous with your businesses. You've been courageous with maybe your partner being ill, sick. You've been courageous through bereavement and pain. I think that's beautiful. But the truth is this. That if you look at these verses, God is calling us all to be courageous people. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You see, when you look at these verses and look at verse 10 as you carry through, what is these verses really creating? They are simply a battle cry. Paul is building up to this moment and it is a battle cry. It is a cry that is coming from the depths of his lungs from a prison cell and he's crying out. He's saying, be strong, be courageous. Now, Paul's Theology is very simple here. And, you, and Ephesians is, is laced with it. It's full of it. And it's this. He's reminding us again and again that the Messiah is triumphant. And if you like, he has moved figuratively from being there in a great battle, has marched triumphantly with all the enemies behind him. In, he has captured them. He has gained his authority. And he is triumphantly, as you were, marching up Mount Zion. And the Messiah is at the top of the mountain. He is now in glory, in all of his glory and his power. And he is declaring that Christ is triumphant. And in the backdrop of that theology that Christ has ascended, he is triumphant, he is magnificent, he is glorious, he has defeated the enemy. You can hear the very trumpet sounding of victory and a call to arms. You can hear the bugles within heaven speaking. You can see that Paul is announcing in a powerful way a courageous command. Speech to say, Be strong now, be courageous, step out, church, because Christ has defeated the enemy. Now you must be willing to defend what is captured. We, we, great speeches in history, and many of us will know the great Churchill speech. Uh, Churchill, a man that had a grasp of the English language probably more than most other. Great English speakers had an ability with words and a grasp of language. And he communicated the great battle cry in the Second World War, which is still one of the greatest ever great speeches of defiance and, and commitment to defend and keep going. You look at the movies. You've got, you've got great movie speeches. Probably the most famous, of course, is Mel Gibson in Braveheart where he's speaking to all the Scots, telling them how dreadful the English are. It's a ridiculous speech. And you've got all of this going on. And uh, do we want freedom? Uh, you know, can't see the problem. Uh, but a joke, of course. But the point is this, is that it's the most moving, and even for me, as they would call a Sassanac, watching that speech on TV or on the film, it moves me. It inspires me. It, it, it creates an emotion within me. And this is what Paul wants to create in you and I and in Ephesus and in the church of Christ. Be strong. It's time to be courageous. This is a battle cry. But there's a link here with a greater battle cry, even than Mel Gibson, even than 
I dare say it, Winston Churchill, of course. It's a battle cry that happened in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, where God himself gives a battle cry. What does he call there? He says, be courageous. How many times does he say be courageous in those three verses? Three times. In fact, at one point he says in the middle of that narrative, be very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And you can't help but read this without understanding that it's almost those breath, that, that power, that strength of the battle cry that Joshua himself heard from the voice of God that we are called to be a people that are strong and courageous and very courageous and very strong and trust the Lord and trust his words and meditate upon it in that great speech from the Lord himself and that speech echoes through eternity even for you and your family now the Lord says be courageous be strong for your Lord your God is with every one of you sometimes we forget that so if this is a battle cry and the trumpets are sounding in the glorious moment it's reminded us therefore we now cue the church The apostle is saying, come on, church, be strong, take a stand, be courageous. The battles are not physical anymore. The battles are global and they're spiritual. They're over the hearts of the nations. It's time for you to step in. I guess even as he wrote these words, he would have been thinking, for those of you who are theological minded, he would have been thinking of, no doubt, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 10, where Daniel is seeking the Lord over the visions he's receiving, over the future of Israel, over what God is doing. He's been in the presence of the Lord for, what, 21 days, and as he's on his face, he's wrecked, he's weeping, he's before the living God. What a glorious, glorious chapter in Daniel. And here is a man prevailing in prayer and he he feels the breath of something in the room. He feels the tap on his shoulder. He looks up and it says, there is a man standing there. The man looks at him. And as he looks at him, he speaks to him. He said, I've tried to get to you for 21 days, but the prince of Persia has tried to stop me. In fact, when I leave, I will have to do battle with the prince of Greece. And Michael came to my aid. And in a moment there, in Daniel, we get a little insight into the belief of Second Temple theology, of that moment there, when suddenly we get an insight into the principalities and the powers. And there, what does the Lord, what does the man speak to Daniel at that point in verse 19? He says, peace. And be strong, be strong, be strong. I love those words. And the truth is, the cue the church, the church needs to realize that this is not a battle of flesh and blood, but there are princes and powers, and that the way that we fight is not through human weaponry, but through the glorious moment of prayer and the glorious of pushing in, and that we're found there battling. I guess Paul was even thinking of David and Goliath. 
For those who don't know the story, 1 Samuel 17 uh, talks about this. And in verse 45, he says, as the little boy steps forward, he is there only with what he has from the Lord. And there is the giant. And he says, you come against me with what? Swords and spears. But I come against you in the name of God Almighty. And he brings the giant down. If ever for a moment there is a picture of a small, weak church that can bring giants down, there's a picture there of who God has called us to be. And maybe as he wrote this, he saw this. He saw Daniel prevailing, and that's why he talked about prayer. He saw David inadequate and small, like a church in Ephesus and Asia Minor, irrelevant communities, irrelevant to the Roman Empire. But God had called these irrelevant communities through their prayers, through their belief, through their spiritual warfare, to do mighty things. And can I remind you, cue the church, we are the church. The prophets. Prophets always spoke in the ancient days. You got Nathan speaking to King David. You got that moment, what in... in the whole story in 1 Samuel 12, where David, it's disastrous. It's all fallen to pieces, 2 Samuel. He's fallen to pieces. Everything is in a battle. And, and the sin of Bathsheba and Nathan comes and speaks. You've got, one, you've got 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel declaring the glory of God. You see, I can't doubt that here there is a, a sense in all of this that the, those that understood Scripture knew that kings fought the battles, knew that that, that great warriors and prophets like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nathan and Elijah and Elisha, there were the great voice who brought the battle. But now, cue the church, Paul is saying, it's you and I now. So what's he doing here? He's painting a picture. He's painting a picture, a beautiful picture of what? Of a heavenly soldier. And that heavenly soldier, as he paints it, he's got a heavenly armor. And he's making it clear without a doubt that you and I are the heavenly soldiers being conscripted and called into God's mighty army of righteousness and justice to be courageous and believe that God can do mighty things. Daniel, David, the prophets. And he paints this picture. But how does he paint this picture? As he paints this picture and says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He describes soldiers who are empowered by what? By mighty power. What does he mean by mighty power? But very simply, our mighty power comes from the presence and work of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that we are those who are forged, who are called in mighty power. It reminds me, because he does set the scene very powerfully here, even in, in, in Ephesians 1 and verse 19. And his incomparable great power for us 
who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. You see again, the mighty strength. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He's saying these heavenly warriors, they are given a mighty strength, a mighty power. And where does this mighty power come? It comes from the same source that raised Christ from the dead, which we'll be celebrating next Sunday morning with all the glory of the church around the world. He has risen, but you and I as warriors of the king are called to be courageous, not in our own strength, because if you do it in your own strength, you will be defeated, but to do it in the same power that rises. Christ from the dead. Or maybe you want to look at Ephesians 3.16. Love this verse. Don't you love in scripture where great verses are 3.16s? Love it. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, this is him praying, he may strengthen you with the power through the spirit in your inner being. Again, he says... You know, we are soldiers who have the power of Christ's resurrection flowing through our spiritual veins. And we have embraced a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit in every one of our lives, in our very inner beings. And we are called to defend. We are called to defend the ground that Christ has won. We are called to defeat the enemies within this world through prayers, through righteousness, through justice, through the proclamation of the gospel in this world and we only do it through the power of God's spirit in our lives. Yesterday afternoon I went to the, fire, to the Alpha Retreat and there we was with um, maybe 30 or so people and we gathered around and I, I spoke for a while and Nicky Gumbel spoke. He's, he was very nice and, um, and they had subtitles for him that helped me. And and at the end of it, I just said, who would like to give their lives to Christ? And three people stepped forward who'd been right the way through Alpha from the beginning and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That's battling. <laughs> Wonderful. And you know in Alpha, you get that moment where you invite people and 25 people came and we worshipped as Michaela Berger played her, 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 her guitar and sang over people. And we prayed for each one to receive exactly this, that they would receive the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that their salvation, they may have the power to keep fighting and keep believing. So the Apostle Paul is cueing the church. Prophets have gone. The kings have finished. But now it's the church. Humble, beautiful, for many irrelevant. But there's nothing more powerful than the prayers of an eight-year-old or the prayers of an 85-year-old. There's nothing more powerful than courageous Christians clothed with a heavenly armor. And that heavenly armor, where is it forged? It is clearly forged in heaven and given to the church. And what does he say to this in these verses? He says, come on church, take your stand. 
Take your stand. He's saying to a group of people clothed in an invisible armor and they're given all the ability to fight the battle, forged in the very um, presence of the glory of heaven, the truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the sword, which is the word of God, the spirit that is there present in our lives. This armor is forged in heaven for his church to defend and defeat the work of the enemy in lives all around us. I hope you feel pretty special this morning. You see, in the Old Testament, who wore the armor? God. Remember that? God wears the armor. Suddenly in the New Testament, God's given the armor, his armor to his people. You can be courageous. You can take a stand. God's sharing his armor with his church. Oh, I know it's tough. You know, the one thing about a Roman legionnaire and the Roman army was this, and it was one fact... And we'll, after Easter, be teaching you through each of the pieces of armor and what they mean. So don't miss it. But a, a Roman soldier was so feared in the ancient world for one reason. Not what they wore. Feared for one reason. That they would never surrender and never retreat. They ruled the world for 500 years just about. But never surrender and never retreat. You've been on this road a long time in your Christian faith. It's not a time to surrender. It's not a time to retreat. There is no defeat. You are part of the most glorious gift to this world, which is the church of Christ. See, if you're really going to fight, there's a few things now, practically, for you and I. Now we get the theology over a bit. A few things. We've traveled through all of this. We've talked about the risen Messiah. We've talked about Daniel. We've talked about Goliath. We've gone through the prophets. We've landed in, in the great outpouring of the Spirit through the resurrection and then through the church. But how do you really fight? What two areas, first of all? Well, you can really fight effectively, number one, practically, if you have an utter assurance of your salvation. Because if you know that you are redeemed, you know that you are loved, you know that you are saved, you know the working power of the gospel in your life, there is no demon, no darkness, no battle that is too strong because God has given you the greatest gift, which is the gift of eternal life. Secondly, people can defeat the enemy. When their relationship with Christ is living and active. When we love his presence. When we're in his 
when we're, it's a living relationship. So how do you know when you're under attack? Really, how do you know when you're under attack in your life? Well, I've been thinking about this, and I think there's a number of areas where I know when I'm under attack, and let me just explain them to you as I close, and you can consider them and start to think them through. Actually, strangely, people who find themselves under attack, I have noticed and seen, number one, are people who actively seek and want to listen to God's voice and God's word every day in their lives. There's nothing the enemy hates more than a listening, praying Christian who seeks the voice and the whisper of God. See, we can have the prophets prophesying and we can have the booming voices and we can have the spectacular, but when a whole church lives a life of listening to the voice of the Spirit, that church becomes unstoppable. But it will attract a battle to that church. That's why I always say the most important meeting of this church is this Monday night at 7 o'clock where about 100 people gather. And my prayer is that we will grow to 200 and then keep growing. That the prayer meeting across Willow Park Church will, what will define us because we are the warriors and we are the soldiers of God's kingdom and we attack the enemy not with the way of the world but through the prayers of the saints prevailing. I'd like to ask any Christian to prove anything different from scripture about the role of prayer in the local church. But if you live that life with your journals and your Bibles and you listen to the whisper and you lean in and you understand things are going to get hot for a while. And you've experienced that and some of you have given up on it. The second area is you feel condemned and accused for areas in your life that you should not feel condemned and accused. The enemy loves to accuse you of your failings, of how it's gone wrong, how you're not good enough. He loves to accuse you in that way. You know you're in the spiritual attack if you feel worthless and useless and accused. Listen, the favorite word in the kingdom of God is redemption, forgiveness. You'll know if you're in the spiritual attack because you doubt the goodness of God in your life. The enemy loves to lie to you and doubt that your goodness, that God is for you, that God loves you, that there's goodness there, that God is there. And boy, does he love that technique and that strategy. And finally, which was dealt with last weekend, the lies. We always know we're under attack because it always is through lies. Internal lies, external lies. Lying about you, lying in, the, in your heart, lies, 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 lies everywhere. The enemy loves exaggeration. He loves lies. You know that because some of the biggest problems you face in your life is through misunderstanding and lies within you and around you. And the enemy will always use lies. But the good news is there is a battle cry from heaven. The good news is, cue the church, God has given us heavenly armor. And the good news is that he calls us. He calls us to be courageous. Can I encourage you to leave our sanctuary, our gathering, courageous again? Courageous. 
and allow the Lord to minister to you. Because you are loved. You are loved by God's glorious, glorious, glorious love. Let's stand together, friends.